You are listening to Real Presence Radio. In the next hour, we have Dr. Jan George from Sacred Heart Productions, teaching on the Gospel of St. Mark. Dr. George, a retired university teacher of literature, has a Master of Theology from the University of Dallas. She is with us today, covering the following five topics. Parables and riddles in the Divine Revelation. Second, the parable of the sower and the seed. Third, Jesus asleep on the stormy sea. Fourth, why the Gerasenes beg Jesus to leave them. And fifth, the woman with the hemorrhage and Jairus' daughter. Tune in at this time each week when Dr. George will be walking us through the chapters of the second gospel from Knowing the Scriptures Bible Study, produced by Sacred Heart Productions. Accompanying lessons for each week can be found online at sacredheartproductions.org, along with lessons and study guides for other New Testament books. Knowing the Scriptures Bible Study is designed to help people understand Scripture in light of sacred tradition. All lessons include related questions and relevant readings from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Knowing the Scriptures program is produced by Sacred Heart Productions, whose mission is to proclaim Christ and His love for His Bride, the Church. And now, here is Dr. George speaking about Parables and Riddles in Divine Revelation. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. God speaks in mystery, and has from the beginning. God is mystery, and he speaks to us through the parables and riddles, the mysteries of the universe. We can understand God and understand who we are by pondering the parables by which God speaks to us. We will never exhaust our understanding of God. As St. Augustine says, if you can understand him, he would not be God. We cannot completely grasp or put our intellect around, wrap our intellect around God or the mind of God. The Church tells us that between the Creator and the creature, no similitude, similarity in other words, can be expressed without implying an even greater dissimilitude. That is how great God is and how far beyond our ability to comprehend or the reality of who we are as his creatures. God creates in wisdom. When God creates, the whole created order has traces, vestiges, an imprint of the wisdom of God upon it. For this reason, God's own truth, order, beauty, goodness, unity, and harmony are written right into the created order. There is, we could say, a certain language of creation. And in this language, we discover, let us say, the parables of the created order we discover the mystery, the riddles of the created order. Now, in pondering the truths that God places before us, we can discover the deeper meanings in creation, the deeper truths about life, the inner nature, the value, 
there are around us in nature and in daily life many things that speak to us, speak to us in a natural way. We must not forget that we are created in God's image and likeness. This means that we have an intellect, a mind, that is like God's. God is light. And we have the light of God within us. God is truth. And there is something of the truth of God written into our very being. Because we have intellects like God's intellect, we can see and understand by God's own power, by God's own light. This is naturally so, but by grace it also functions at a supernatural level. By the natural light of reason, man can come to know God and can come to understand certain truths about himself and about the universe. We can look around us and see, written into the created order, concrete truths, and we can discover experientially other truths. For example, we can ponder the mystery of light, of the sun, of night and darkness, of the seed, the sower, of wind and water, of the earth, the air, the heavens, the place beneath the earth, of the things that we do, of sowing or planting, of the growth of the world around us, the maturation of things, of trees and their fruits, of bread and wine and oil, and on and on. God speaks to us of these images in Scripture in order to reveal truths about life itself, about who we are as created in God's image and likeness, about who God is, and who we are called to be as children of God. As the Church says, it is only in the mystery of the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ, that the mystery of man truly becomes clear. Now, God has been speaking about this to us from the beginning in the Old Testament. If we look at wisdom and the ability for people to unravel the mysteries in the world around them. Examples of this would have been Solomon, Joseph, Daniel, Ezra the scribe, who could read the scriptures to the people and interpret the word in a way that they could understand. Now, what is it about these Old Testament figures? All of those who had wisdom who were wise beyond a natural wisdom, were those who were humble before God, who acknowledged a supreme being, a creator of the universe, and who were obedient to the law of God written in their heart. And so they were capable of explaining to the world, explaining to the rulers of the world, the pharaoh, the kings, the mysteries that confounded them, that perplexed them. This is why the Pharaoh calls Joseph to help solve the riddle of his dream. His own sages, his own wise men, cannot help him in this regard. It is always the faithful servants of God's own people that are capable of explaining what otherwise perplexes the rulers and the kings of the Old Testament. Daniel, the same thing. He is called before King Nebuchadnezzar. 
to explain the writing on the wall that his own sages cannot interpret for him. These rulers know that they must be capable of understanding the mystery which they encounter, the mystery before them, if they are going to remain secure in their kingdom. And because they can't do this, a prophet, a faithful servant of God, is called forward to explain these mysteries to them. Now, because the truth of God is written into us, we all are created the same way. We all seek the truth. We all want to understand things naturally. But as God tells us, the person who lives merely in earthly ways, natural ways, cannot fully explain even the mysteries or parables of the natural world around them. They can come to a certain understanding, but they are slow to come to that understanding. And their understanding, their wisdom, is often imperfect. The spiritual, on the other hand, can understand not only the natural parables which God speaks, but they also can understand the supernatural mystery that God speaks to us about, divine revelation. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ fulfills, he is the fulfillment of wisdom. Jesus Christ is the answer to all the questions that man poses. And Jesus, as we know, spoke frequently to the people in parables. In today's lesson, we encounter what St. Mark writes in regard to Jesus' teaching so frequently in parables when he spoke to the people. He writes at the beginning of chapter 4. Again, Jesus began to teach them by the lakeside, but such a huge crowd gathered round him that he got into a boat on the water and sat there the whole crowd were at the lakeside on land. Jesus taught them many things in parables. And a little later, when Jesus was alone, the twelve, together with the others who formed his company, in other words, the disciples of Jesus who were with him and following him, asked what the parables meant. Now, Jesus has just finished speaking to them about the sower and the seed, a parable with which we are greatly familiar. It's not particularly difficult for us to understand, in part because Jesus himself gives the interpretation of that parable and explains it to us. But the apostles, who had not yet received the fullness of the Holy Spirit, could not fully comprehend this, and they asked Jesus to explain it to them. They asked what the parables meant. Jesus told them, To you is granted the secret of the kingdom. But to those who are outside, everything comes in parables. Or in another translation, everything remains enigmatic, remains perplexing, remains a mystery which they cannot grasp or comprehend. Jesus goes on to say, So that, quoting the words of the prophet Isaiah, they may look and look, but never perceive, listen and listen, but never understand, to avoid changing their ways and being healed. This is a scripture passage which is quoted repeatedly in the New Testament. St. Paul, in speaking in his preaching, explains, when people receive the word of God, they looked and looked, but could not see. They listened and listened, but they could not hear. And why does Jesus say? It's because 
They are avoiding changing their hearts and being healed. When we encounter the word, the truth in the word, the truth and meaning in the parables in the world around us, naturally speaking, and also in divine revelation, we have an encounter with God, and it is a call to the higher standard in Christ. And that call is demanding. It means that we change our old ways of thinking and being, and we embrace that new way in Christ. It means, ultimately, a death to self. And when we finally discover this, we don't want to change our ways. It demands too much of us. So what we do is we refuse to hear. We refuse to see so that our hearts do not have to be transformed. And that is part of the key to being able to enter the kingdom of God through these parables. Now, how how can we avoid remaining on the outside of the kingdom? Jesus himself says it is only his disciples, those that he teaches, those to whom he himself explains the parables. They are on the inside of the kingdom. They are within. The kingdom is within their grasp. How do we avoid having this happen to us? We simply follow what God himself reveals through the life of Jesus and those who followed him. Number one, and this would apply also to the faithful servants of God in the Old Testament, what is it that these disciples do? Number one, they listen attentively to the word of God. We must listen attentively to all that God has revealed to us in the created order, pondering the mystery of God in creation, and in divine revelation, which we have in the whole of the sacred deposit of our faith received in sacred scripture and sacred tradition. Secondly, we must consent fully, unconditionally, to that truth. We must do what the church tells us, what she defined in Dei Verbum in the Second Vatican Council, that we must submit wholly our intellect and will to divine revelation. We must assent. We must embrace it. In other words, we must be docile. We must, in our intellect, submit our intellect to a higher authority, a higher truth, knowing that we don't always understand fully, immediately, the mystery of God. Slowly, the Spirit, in responding to our response to God, enlightens us more and more and gives us greater understanding. And our minds slowly become enlightened, not only with regard to the natural things, but primarily with regard to the spiritual things. The person who thinks and lives and speaks according to the Spirit understands the natural things of the world also. St. Ignatius of Loyola, a doctor of the Church, said that there are basically three levels of obedience. He said the highest level of obedience is what we call obedience of understanding, by which we submit our understanding in obedience to the Church, to the voice of Christ in the world, to all that God has revealed in divine revelation. And thirdly, after this consent, we must commit ourselves totally to living out, to putting into practice all that God has revealed to us. And we do this again 
in trust, in obedience of faith. More and more, then, we will comprehend the mysteries of the kingdom of God. We will then be able to read scripture, and we will be amazed at how much understanding and enlightenment the Holy Spirit gives us. Now, how is what Jesus says about understanding the parables connected to church interpretation on sacred scripture? We know, and Jesus Christ has ordained, that the apostles, those to whom Christ himself entrusts the mysteries of his life, the apostles in every age of the church, in other words, the magisterium of the church, is the sole authentic interpreter of sacred scripture. In other words, we must defer our judgment, that discernment process, to the living teaching office of the church, to what has been transmitted from age to age through the church and what is called sacred tradition. Now, we must keep in mind that sacred scripture and sacred tradition are a unity. They form a single sacred deposit of our faith. In fact, in the earliest days of the church, the apostles, the very first apostles of Christ, who were sent out to teach all nations, as Jesus says, to teach all nations all that I have commanded you, all that he showed them through his teachings, through the example of his life, he entrusted the mysteries of his own life to them, and in instituting the priesthood, he gives his own priests, his apostles, a unique share in his office as priest, prophet, and king. He is the fulfillment of this. As priest, because Jesus is high priest, as prophet, because he is the word himself, and as king, because he is ruler of the universe and king of kings. So the magisterium of the church shares in these offices of Christ as priest, prophet, and king, and they go forth in the world sanctifying as priest, teaching and preaching as prophet, and governing as king. To them is entrusted then the sacred deposit of the faith, which they carefully guard and transmit faithfully and in its entirety from generation to generation. Now, can we understand sacred scripture? Can we interpret the mystery of God in divine revelation, what is transmitted to us through sacred scripture and tradition? Can we do this by ourselves if we read the Bible, for example, or if we pick up a copy of the Catechism? Absolutely. Most especially if we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. Again, through this obedience of faith, through responding to grace, the Holy Spirit can work powerfully in us. Absolutely, we can interpret in truth the parables of God, the mysteries of God. However, there are times when what we understand is not completely consistent with the doctrines of the church or with what has been handed on or with the interpretation that the church in 2,000 years has given with regard to the teachings of Jesus, the Word of God, perhaps what is revealed in the Old Testament, perhaps in the letters of St. Paul. In these instances, we must submit our own judgment and understanding to that of the church, to the authority of the apostles. And we must, in faith and humility and in docility, realign 
our thinking, our understanding, with that of the Spirit. Remember that Jesus gives his Spirit to the church. It is the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit of Christ, living and teaching in the church. And so we, being small, we, knowing that we cannot fully understand God, we submit that as a child who is eager to learn and who wants to be led and guided in the fullness of the truth, who knows that he or she doesn't understand everything, even though he embraces parts of things and rejoices at the mystery that he embraces. St. Peter says that we must recognize that the interpretation of Scripture is never a matter for the individual person. It is never a matter of individual interpretation. In other words, we are part of the body of Christ, and our understanding, our knowledge, our wisdom, our understanding, must be in complete conformity with the Spirit of Christ that has been given to the Church, and that we, we live under the guardianship of the fathers of the Church. I'm speaking now of the apostles of the church who are present on earth in in place of, as vicars in a sense of Christ. We have one vicar who is Peter and then with his brother apostles, they are here as the voice and presence of Christ himself, Christ himself teaching us. Jesus says a little later in chapter 4 of this Gospel of Mark, St. Mark records that using many parables like these, because he has spoken of the parable of the measure, of the parable of the mustard seed, of the parable of the seed that grows by itself, and so forth. Jesus spoke the word to them so far as they were capable of understanding it, meaning the crowds. He would not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything to his disciples when they were by themselves. God continues to speak in parables to the whole world, knowing that by the natural light of reason we can understand these. The more rebellious that we are in our spirit, the more that we are independent and refuse to be led by the Spirit of God, the less do we understand even the simplest things. This is why Jesus speaks of, this is why he praises and thanks the Father, that he has given the greater understanding to the simplest of the children. He is speaking of how as children we go in simplicity before God, trusting him and waiting upon his every word. Thank you for listening to Real Presence Radio. If you're just tuning in, Dr. George of Sacred Heart Productions is going through the Gospel of St. Mark from Knowing the Scriptures Bible Study Program. For lessons, study guides, and more information, please visit sacredheartproductions.org. In this next segment, Dr. George will be covering the parable of the sower and the seed, and then she will be covering Jesus asleep on the stormy sea. And now, back to Dr. George. Now, in chapter 4, St. Mark records in brief several parables that Jesus presents in following the parable which he himself explains of the sower and the seed. And the first of these is the parable of the measure. And we ask ourselves the meaning of it and how we might apply it to our own lives. Jesus says, The standard you use will be used for you, and you will receive more besides. 
God gives to us, and the standard, the standard, in other words, with how we receive and use what He gives to us, is the standard that is going to be, that will be our measure. In other words, if we are generous in spirit, if we generously receive all that God gives us and generously use and generously respond to the mission we have been given on earth by God, we will receive continually more and more from God. We also have to remember here that the saints, who have always been the most generous of recipients on earth, they understand that in following Christ, they understand what God reveals about his Son, which is that Christ, who was infinitely rich in all ways, made himself poor, in other words, handed off his own riches to others, so that by his riches and through his poverty, the rest of us might become rich. The saints know that the more they receive from God, and they know that the more they respond, the more they will receive. They will become richer and richer, infinitely so. The more they receive, the more accountable they are to hand off those riches for the sake of the poor of the world. And we're speaking now, we're not speaking monetarily necessary. We are talking about those who are spiritually poor in the world. The more we use those talents, those gifts, those riches, the more God will give to us. Jesus tells other parables which are recorded in the Gospel of St. Matthew, the parable of the talents, for example. And the man who receives supposedly the least, only one, buries it. He does nothing with it. And the master comes back and says, you wicked and lazy servant. And he commands that that one talent be given to the man who already had ten, the most. And the man who has ten, the master continues to give more to him. Why? Because he invests all that he receives and he becomes infinitely rich. Now, we must not forget, on the one hand, God, yes, he gives different gifts and different amounts of things to different people. For his own plan and purposes, we cannot second-guess God's plan and why he is doing what he is doing. But we can be sure that everything he does is done out of infinite love for each and every person on earth, each and every person he has ever created. We have all received everything in Christ his Son. Everyone, everyone has been given the gift of Christ his Son, has been offered this gift. The question is whether we will receive the everything of God, the all of God, by accepting, by having faith in Christ his Son, and in following what Christ has revealed to us. In other words, by accepting the plan of God revealed for us in Jesus Christ, his Son. So in one sense, we all have everything. There is nothing that we can really measure in our limited and human ways. On the other hand, to each of us, God distributes a different measure. And the more he gives us of particular gifts or talents, the more accountable we become for those. Because what he gives us is not merely for ourselves. We are a family. We are a community. We are the one body of Christ. And there must be a sharing. Christ says anyone who has will be given more. And anyone who has not will be deprived even of what he has. The one who has generosity 
and love and faith will continue to be given more and more. The one with little generosity, love, faith in God will be deprived of even the little he has. And that little, we can hardly call it little, when what God offers us is everything in his Son. Then we encounter a parable of the seed that grows by itself. This is a parable unique to the Gospel of St. Mark. Jesus says, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the land. Night and day, while he sleeps, when he is awake, the seed is sprouting and growing. How? He does not know. Of its own accord, the land produces first the shoot, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And when the crop is ready, at once he starts to reap because the harvest has come. The kingdom of God possesses its own intrinsic power. God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He has revealed this from the very beginning. Scripture says, Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will be established. Mordecai, in the book of Esther, when they fear for what will become of God's people, he says, Lord Almighty King, everything is subject to your power, and there is no one who can withstand you in your determination to save Israel. This is the truth that we live ourselves in the New Testament. That in faith we can say, in spite of what happens to us, that nothing can stand in God's way to fulfill his will in us and for us if we would have faith in him. This is in spite of the adversities and hardships of life, the difficulties, the failures, the setbacks, the unfulfilled lives we sometimes end up living. We must have, as Jesus says, that it is faith. He says, what you need is faith. God does not need a perfect world in which to save us. He has already redeemed us in a fallen world. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Through the prophet Isaiah, he says, as the rain and snow come down from the sky, and of course, we're speaking of water here, this is grace. It's the the power of God's Spirit to fulfill His will on earth. As the rain and snow come down from the sky and do not return before having watered the earth, fertilized it and making it germinate to provide seed for the sower and food to eat, so it is with the word that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me unfulfilled and having achieved what it was sent to do. We ask ourselves, how can this be possible when we sense sometimes in our lives that because of certain failures, mishaps, bad decisions that we've made in our lives, we sense sometimes that our life feels to be not as complete, not what it should have been according to God's plan. We must have faith in the power of Christ. The church speaks of this mystery of the recapitulation of all things in Christ. God can make, he is making, he has made all things new. Nothing is outside the providence of God. We don't know the mysterious ways that he brings all things to their fulfillment. In some tremendous way, even the thief on the cross, 
who was hanging on the cross next to Christ, he entered the kingdom of God of a moment. And in some mysterious way, God brought to fulfillment, at the very least, through his salvation. He ended up where he was supposed to be, with God in heaven. God does not fail to continue to bring about his will. If at any point in our lives we understand this and we simply turn, we hand over the whole past history of our life to God and ask him to make all things new. This is God's own word in both the Old Testament and the New. Jesus says, look, I make all things new. He will do the same for us. His word will be fulfilled in us if we but allow him to do this for us. That is the mystery, a mystery that Jesus himself tells as a parable that he presents to us so that we can understand the power of the kingdom of God being established within us and among us. A very powerful parable. We now encounter a series of miracles in the Gospel of St. Mark, powerful miracles, in which Jesus is showing forth or revealing powers of salvation. In the first one we have, we encounter the apostles being tossed about in a storm out in the water. Jesus, as scripture tells us, is asleep. He appears to be sound asleep in the stern of the boat. The apostles, fearing for their lives, wake Jesus up. St. Mark records, They woke him and said to him, Master, do you not care? We are lost. Now the apostles had already been called and chosen by Christ. He was teaching them and preparing them for a mission to send them out into the world. God had a plan. Now they end up in this boat with Jesus in the midst of this terrible storm. It seems unlikely that God would bring about the deaths of all of them instantly in that place when Christ so clearly had called them and was preparing them to carry on his work following the Paschal Mystery, following his own death. What we have to keep in mind in this parable, when we say the word parable, there are two senses about a parable present within Scripture. On the one hand, there is a parable which is simply an analogy or comparison. For example, the evangelist will speak of the parables of Jesus, that he gives an analogy to help teach us a lesson or explain a truth of the mystery of the kingdom. But every event in Scripture, every sacred image that God repeatedly presents to us within certain contexts, these are parables in the way that they are riddles written into divine revelation revealing, on the one hand, mystery, and on the other hand, revelation itself. God is mystery. God wills to communicate himself to us. He wills to disclose himself to us, to reveal himself to us. But because God is God, this revelation cannot help but have the character of mystery. So we can speak of the parables in the life around us, for example. We can speak of how there are certain incidents, we sense this sometimes, where something happens in our own life which we know in our spirit is symbolic. It speaks about a mystery of our life that has been present perhaps from the beginning of our lives, 
We know, we simply know, we intuit that it is God himself leading us, showing us, saying, here we are again, we're back at this little lesson. It's like the actual historical event is a little parable in our own lives. So, in this way, the calming of the storm, this miracle of Jesus, we can speak of it as part of the mysteries or riddles, because we are speaking here of parables. It is, in fact, a historical event. It's a real event. But it had, it carried in it and continues to carry in it so much value, so much meaning. It tells us, as all of the signs and parables in the world do, about the deeper truths of the mystery of the kingdom. So, what is God telling us? Jesus himself says, just a short while later in this very gospel, that fear is useless. What is needed is trust. Jesus is constantly telling us this in his own ministry, that what he looks for is faith. It is faith that can overcome the questions we have, the adversities, the suffering, the difficulties. God is the God not only of day and light, but he is Lord over night and darkness. He reigns even amidst the storm, and we must not forget that. Christ, being true God and true man, we know, has a human intellect and will, and this human intellect and will is always perfectly attuned to his divine intellect and will which he has in common with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So in some mysterious way, and we cannot completely probe the depths of this, either now or in eternity, while Christ knows all things, he in his humanity lives within a human nature, and so he sleeps in the boat amidst the storm, And so he asks, when the woman tugs at the hem of his garment, who it is that has touched him. And yet, God is revealing to us that he knows all things that touch upon these circumstances. As the psalmist says, he sleeps not nor slumbers Israel's guard. That even while God is asleep, he is awake. God himself says, he's speaking of himself in the Song of Songs, he says, I sleep but my heart is awake. God sleeps, but his heart is awake. At the end of the book of Proverbs, when the Lord is speaking of this woman who faithfully watches guard over her own family, scripture says, her lamp does not go out at night. We know how the mother of a family, if she has sick children, for example, she may go to bed at night and she may rest or sleep, but her heart is ever awake. She is so attuned to the distress out there. If all of a sudden a child calls out, help me, the mother will instantly be awake. So it is this mystery how while we sleep in our humanity, the spirit in us never sleeps. The spirit is ever awake. St. Paul tells us that God's weakness is stronger than human strength. The power of Jesus asleep in the boat is greater than, stronger than, all-encompassing amidst the storm and the struggle of the apostles. When Jesus is asleep, he is still forever more powerful in that mode of sleeping 
than the whole world is when we're awake and active. This is a small matter for God. Now, he allows it to happen. Everything is within the providence of God. Why? As Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospels, it is for this time, for this place, it is to reveal the power and the love, the mercy, the goodness of God. God is teaching us about himself. It didn't have to happen this way, that they would go out in the boat, that this huge storm would come up, that Jesus would decide to go to sleep. All of this was ordained by God. Look at the lesson we get through this profound parable, using the word in the sense that it's a teaching moment for God, for us, how much we learn through exactly what happens. God takes these opportunities to teach us deeper truths about his watchfulness, his solicitude for us. Thank you for listening to Real Presence Radio. If you're just tuning in, Dr. George of Sacred Heart Productions is going through the Gospel of St. Mark from Knowing the Scriptures Bible Study Program. For lessons, study guides, and more information, please visit sacredheartproductions.org. In this next segment, Dr. George will be covering why the Gerasenes begged Jesus to leave them, and then she will be covering the woman with the hemorrhage and Jairus' daughter. And now, back to Dr. George. After this, Jesus goes into the territory of the Gerasenes, and we're sort of amazed that after he, he frees this man who is possessed by demons, and so difficult is the situation that he is chained up in the caves, and scripture tells us that the people in the village, the people nearby, had a fear of him because he could break the chains, he could break these fetters from being possessed by demons. And so Jesus casts out the unclean spirit and a calmness, a peace comes over the man. Now, the demons, because he speaks to them, and, and they say that their name is Legion. Legion means that there are a great many of them. And they beg. They have a fear before Christ. They recognize that in the presence of Christ, they are in the presence of the all-powerful God. And they are tormented by, by his Holy Spirit, and they beg him to spare them. So Jesus allows them to go into, to possess the bodies of the swine, of the pigs. And of course, scripture tells us 2,000 of them go headlong over the edge of the cliff and are drowned. And the nearby herders and people who have seen this run off to the city and to the countryside, as scripture tells us, and they tell everyone, and everyone comes to see this area, to see what has happened for themselves. So amazing is this story. Now, what they come upon is the demoniac, the one who was previously possessed, sitting there quietly. Scripture says they came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there, the man who had had the legion in him, properly dressed and in his full senses, and they were afraid. We're almost a little surprised at that, taken aback. Those who had witnessed it reported what had happened to the demoniac and what had become of the pigs. They began to implore Jesus to leave their neighborhood. They begged Jesus to leave them, to get out of there. Why would they do that? We must not forget how the Egyptians reacted when they hurried Israel out of their own country because they said, unless the Israelites go, we shall all be dead. 
when they began to see the power of God at work amongst them, they said, get those people away from us, or we're going to all be killed. They saw a power that made them recoil. Rahab, the prostitute, when the Israelites come to them and seek refuge, she tells them in no uncertain terms, these scouts, she says, everyone here is afraid of you. Everyone has heard the stories of how this God of yours parted the Red Sea and that you went through and how the Egyptians were killed and what happened to the Amorite kings when they put a curse of destruction on you. It's like, we are all afraid of you. Everyone is trembling. Don't get too close to us. Now, why would we respond that way? Well, God himself tells us in different places of scripture about fear that where there is perfect love, there is no fear. But we have fear in us, and that reveals the fact that our love is not perfect, nor is our faith in God perfect. What is it about fear? It's that we are confronted with the word, the power of God, who changes everything in our midst. There is something huge about this, something that we know ultimately is going to turn on us and demand something of us. And we don't want to turn away from the sin, from the way we live our lives. We all sense, and even now we do this with the Word of God, with the fullness of the truth that the church teaches and is present in her sacramental life. There is something that people want to be kept distant from that. It seems too demanding. There is something about this that will eventually turn on them and require something of them. So the Gerasenes push away that which is good, that which is perfectly good, perfectly true, that which can restore peace to their lives. They push that away from themselves because they don't want the encounter, because the encounter is too frightening for them. And when we respond, even in perhaps far more subtle ways, in this way to God in our midst, it is because we know that that kind of love seems too much for us, too much for us to bear. This is not, of course, this is not how God is. He is gentleness and and mercy and the forgiveness of sins. Christ says in a different part of the Gospels, I have shown you many good works from my Father. For which of these are you stoning me? For which of these do you push me away from yourselves? Because what he had done for the Gerasenes, you would think that they would have all gone over the countryside rejoicing. Look at what this man can do. But instead, in the end, they pushed him away from them. And then finally, in the the last event that St. Mark talks about in chapter 5 of his gospel is an event that we find in all three synoptic gospels. And it's interesting how the raising the dead to life of Jairus's daughter, now Jairus is the presider of the synagogue. His daughter is on the verge of death. She's deathly ill. He sends a message to him that the Lord might come and help her and cure her. Jesus is on his way. And the woman with the hemorrhage, who has been afflicted for many years, who has seen many doctors, And the costs of that have eaten up all that she has. And she's not only no better, but she, in fact, is getting worse. There is this interruption of Jesus on his way, supposedly, to cure the little girl who is about to die. In all three Gospels, these two events are intertwined. 
they are presented together as if they are sort of contingent one upon the other. We get the feeling that had Jesus not been detained by the woman with a hemorrhage, that perhaps he would have gotten there to Jairus's house on time. There is something human in how we think about and approach this because the woman with the hemorrhage comes up and she tugs on the hem of his garment. He stops and Jesus, Jesus wants to know who this is. And the apostles say to Jesus, how can he know anyway? There's so many people pushing in on him and touching him and how could he possibly know? Now, does Jesus in fact know who the woman is? There is a way in which we must answer yes to this question because Jesus knew every person that was present in every room where he taught. Not only did he know them, but he knew what they were thinking, each one of them. There is something else here, though, and perhaps in his humanity, in a way beyond our ability to comprehend, in his humanity, perhaps, there was that seeking to know. But what must be stressed here is the fact that the woman could not reach out to Christ without God initiating. The very reason that she goes in faith to Christ, she thinks if she could just touch the hem, if she could just get even close to him, that she will be healed. That draws out the power from Christ. But no one can do that unless God reaches out first to us. God thirsts that we would thirst for him. God reaches out to us first, that we would reach out to him. This is what is important in what's happening in this moment of the gospel. As God says to the prophet Isaiah, before you have opened your mouth, I have heard you. Before you have stopped speaking, I have answered you. This is God speaking. This is fulfilled, of course, in this mystery of the woman with the hemorrhage. So we have the healing, his pausing, And there is also that element of the personal encounter with Christ. There is something very personal in his wanting to to pause. God responds very much to every act of faith we make in him. It sort of stops God in his tracks, so to speak. It stops him. It makes him stop and turn and pause and look at us and speak to us. God responds to faith, responds hugely to faith. But in the midst of all this, what happens is that messengers come back from Jairus's and say, she's dead. She has died. We aren't sure, but we get the feeling that if he could have gotten there a little bit quicker, if he hadn't been detained, we are reminded of Martha's and Mary's response when Jesus is apparently detained and Lazarus dies and he is in the tomb for four days. What is it that Martha and Mary both say to Jesus? Both of them say this. Lord, if you had only been here, he would not have died. Now, God is, in fact, present in absolutely everything in our life. Our experience from our side can be as if, God, if you had just been here, if you had just been with me, if you had been with me a little more than I think you were, more closely, more aware of what it was I was suffering and what I needed in that moment, but I know you were busy elsewhere. This is not the reality of God. God is totally present to every single person, every moment on the face of the earth. 
And so it is in faith that we understand this. Nothing is outside the providence of God. The fact that Lazarus dies and is buried in the tomb four days. Now God allows this to show his power. He is revealing the power of the resurrection. And so he permits this. But we say, well, he doesn't fix everything that happens. There are tragedies in life. There are calamities. Nothing is outside God's providence. When we say nothing is outside the providence of God, we must differentiate here between what God objectively wills, because he can only objectively will what is good, the truth, our salvation. And he never ceases willing that. On the other hand, because we have free will, and because we live in an imperfect world, God permits many other things. He even permits us to sin by our own free will. He doesn't objectively will this, but he permits it. What we must remember is this. Everything is within the power of God. As Jesus says to Pilate when he says, don't you realize that I can free you or pass sentence on you to be crucified? Jesus says, you would have no power over me if it were not given you from above. God is revealing that what does happen happens because God's power and providence allow it. But God would never, because he is perfectly good, he would never allow anything to happen, even when it's evil or sinful or a tragedy, unless he were simultaneously willing a greater good to come from it. That requires faith on our part sometimes a great deal of faith and hope. And sometimes we have to wait for a period of time and suffer through something until God finally lifts us up in that faith and hope because it's hard for us. We don't see these things. There are many things we don't even understand. As long as we live on earth, we won't understand them until the next life. Scripture tells us you cannot get to the bottom of everything taking place under the sun. This is God speaking in the Old Testament. Not even a sage can get to the bottom of it even if he says that he has done so. This is the word of God. All that God does is apt for its time. We can grasp neither the beginning nor the end of what he does. There is a purpose to everything God does. The church tells us that only at the end of time, when our partial knowledge ceases, will we fully know the ways by which God has guided his creation to that definitive Sabbath rest for which he created the heavens and the earth. We will be a new heavens and a new earth. As St. Paul says, creation was unable to attain its purpose because of him who kept it so in a state of hope. And we live these words of scripture by our very lives. So that what happens is permitted to happen so that God's power can show forth The fact that the little girl dies, there is a greater, and at least from from the human perspective, there is a greater miracle that Jesus raises from the dead, Jairus' daughter. It certainly would have been a miracle to have healed her, but a far greater miracle that he would raise her from the dead. And they mocked him, they ridiculed him when he went there. They all knew she was dead. And who can raise from the dead? Well, of course, only God can raise from the dead. And Jesus, God in his providence, the Father, allows this. He writes these events into the public ministry of the Son for our good, for our salvation. 
in a sense, we can say it is good that Lazarus died. And it is good that the daughter of Jairus died because the power of the resurrection was clearly, explicitly revealed to us through the goodness and mercy of Jesus Christ in those instances. A power which pointed to a greater resurrection, an eternal resurrection at the end of time, that we would be raised up in soul and in body. And so, everything, it's like the story ends perfectly well. There's a happy ending to the whole event. Jairus' daughter, the woman with the hemorrhage, and God has revealed his closeness to us in every moment, his tender love, his care for us amidst the calamities and the hardships and disappointments of life, that God is constantly working to bring about greater things. The greater of these things may not be something measurable in earthly or human terms. We may not understand in this life, but we can be sure, we can be absolutely sure, because God is infinite in his goodness and in his love, we can be absolutely positive that whatever God is doing is bringing about something that touches upon our salvation. St. Catherine of Siena says, everything comes from love. All is ordained for the salvation of man. God does nothing without this goal in mind. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to Knowing the Scriptures Bible Study on Real Presence Radio. Lessons, study guides, and other material can be found online at sacredheartproductions.org. Please tune in next time while we continue the Gospel of St. Mark. Dr. George will be covering the following four topics. We look at appearances, but God looks at the heart. Second, conscience is the voice of Christ in us. Third, the miracles of the loaves and the fish prefigure the Eucharist. And fourth, Jesus' teaching on clean and unclean. Knowing the Scriptures Bible Study is designed to help people understand Scripture in light of sacred tradition. All lessons include related questions and relevant readings from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Knowing the Scriptures is produced by Sacred Heart Productions, whose mission is to proclaim Christ and His love for His Bride, the Church.